Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. The replacement rate right now, I think, is at less than 1%. Like, we're, we're hovering around 1% right now. In America. Yeah. And he basically said, like, it's so weird that, like, as a country, we could be, and the Western world as a whole is hovering Check. around 1%. He's like, it's so weird that we could, like, our whole civilization is basically about to crumble. Like, it literally (laughs) is crumbling, and people just can't care less. And they're more focused on abortion. They're like, we need to get less kids born. As as few kids born as possible is great. And no one really cares. Like, that is... That is a really good point. <laughs> and that's that's and that's where the society is. That's right. <laughs> and that's where we're at. We're so. literally dying out and we're like, we need to have less kids. It's like, that's right. Let's kill the kids that are being born <laughs> that are about to be born. That's right. <laughs> I know, we're so wacky, huh? We're awesome. Well, you know, it takes years of great um overpopulation education to you know, get it in everybody's brain, you know, automatically that, you know what, we, we like, you know, are way overpopulated. It's like so overpopulated, we can do abortion and we're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's actually good for us. Oh, you know, it's interesting. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. This is Running Light Ministries and it's going to be podcast. Um, I very, I don't know which one just yet, but it's hundred and something. Hundred and something. <laughs> We're in the hundred and something ones. And uh, we are going to be discussing uh, Peter and I. My name's Bo and I'm with Peter. And uh, we have been in Running Light for a long period of time. And these podcasts are available to you on SoundCloud or iTunes. Just go to Running Light Ministries and you can check it out. But we've been doing this for a long time. We talk about the Bible, love and lust and life and stuff like that. Sex culture, um, marriage, divorce, um, you know, sex, penises, vaginas, you know, you name it. We talk about the it. gamut, yeah. We don't <laughs> mess around here. So if you struggle with um, these terms, and uh, you're not used to these terms, then we would always encourage you to read your Bible, <laughs> right? Yeah. Read your Bible. You'll get there. Um, and um, yeah, absolutely. So the Bible is a wonderful book, and it, the whole book's uh, an actually allegory. All 66 books are allegories to God's relationship with his people, uh, which is pretty interesting. And it's very much um a relationship so relationships are vital um and more vital than we think (laughs) obviously in our day and age um or that we uh, propose that they are so anyway we got a really cool article we want to break this article down to you because it's super phenomenal yeah no it's really interesting so this is an article written in june 24th so a couple weeks ago by a guy named aaron snodgrass a sweet name good name uh and it's called (laughs) swearing off men and avoiding intimacy generation z reconsiders sex in the wake of a post row world so uh this article came out just i think a couple days after roe versus world uh roe versus wade was overturned by the supreme court so supreme court overturned it on june 15th so just like nine days after this article is written. So what they did, this is from, uh, gosh, I can't remember what site I pulled this off of, but essentially they went around and started interviewing members of Generation Z. And those of you guys who don't know, Generation Z are people who are born after 1996. And usually the cutoff is around 2007, 2008. So most generations, like when they use these terms like Gen X, which is what Bo is from, or Millennial, which is what I'm from, or Gen Z, usually it's about a 10-year window, right? So uh, to be a Millennial, you're born anywhere between like, uh, usually it's around 86 to like 95. Usually that's the cutoff. Gen X is around like 74, 75, other way up, up to like 85. And then you got the boomers before you, and then uh, you have the traditionalists before that. And what I find interesting before we launch in is that every generation has its interesting cultures and subcultures. Yep. Every single one. Yep. 
We all do it for similar feelings and desires and needs and whatever. But we all get involved in some kind of culture, you know, teen culture mm. of some sort. Um, and I say that just because sometimes people think that what we're seeing today in young people culture, uh, which I find funny and confusing myself, yeah. <laughs> but I just lived enough life nowadays where I look at it and kind of go, oh, that's funny. But, uh, um, but uh, young people today, you know, they have their things that they go to um, and they have peer pressures and they have everything that we had too. Um, and for my generation, you know, you know, whether it was a lot of it had to do with our music, uh, that's how we rebelled was through music, um, you know, having sex, um, with whoever we wanted, you know, getting maybe piercings done, you know, that was really big in my generation. Yeah. You know? And I think what people have pointed out that's interesting about Gen Z is that in your generation, when you did that it was actually rebellion right. <laughs> that like the the power hierarchy the structure of power was actually offended by that kind of behavior this generation is very interesting <laughs> in which the power hierarchy are the ones that are championing this behavior and actually the dissidents right the counterculture are actually people who aren't into that kind of thing right so. <laughs> right here you know back in my day it would have been you know straight edge punk Right. You know, the straight edge punk scene that was like the 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 sober punk movement yeah. you know of my day. You know, that would have been the rebellious that would right. that would be the rebellious movement today. That's right. If you're sober and you plan on waiting till marriage, dude, you are you are crazy. You man. are nuts. You, you are counterculture totally. to the max, you know? It's so the, true. the funny thing is though, is that people in Generation Z think that they're rebelling. Right. That's the crazy thing. Well, where once again, like your generation could actually say you you were rebelling because, you know, you had Reagan in office. The conservative movement was actually growing and uh, gaining a lot of steam. Conservative values were very high up on people's priority list. Uh, it was right after, you know, the Vietnam era. People were going back to nationalism and patriotism. Yeah. Big, so, yeah. And we saw that we saw a bunch of big corporations coming on the right, scene. We right. kind of saw big government. Uh, corporate collusion back then yeah we saw giant companies starting to come on the scene you know microsoft ibm you know this corporation world you know and they were all looking at you kids and saying get a haircut yeah and we were and like, get a job <laughs> and we were riding our skateboards flipping people off <laughs> you know didn't even didn't even care about uh street lights or yeah. traffic signals and now the people with long hair and those right. rings, they're they are the ones running the country. Yeah, they're the ones who are like the Jack Dorsey's running Twitter. You know, those are the guys who are actually running the world. So it is funny that they think that they're rebelling, but they're actually doing exactly what the people in power want them to be doing. And maybe what happened is our generation grew up and we became leaders yep. and we just never changed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude. And they're just like, hey, you know what? Let's. Let's make the rebellious the right. Right. And let's make the, you know, what we remembered as being the wrong, you know, that conservative feel. Right. Let's make, let's, we considered that the wrong growing up, but now that we're all grown up, maybe we're like, let's make that the wrong. Right. You know? Which is, which, again, it's like crazy because, you know, they called it the sexual revolution because the majority of people had kind of Judeo-Christian uh, sexual ethics that were like, you know, wait till marriage, build a family, that kind of thing. I can't tell you the last premarital counseling I've had where the couple actually was absent until marriage. Like, I, honestly, that's that's in the church, you know, these are people wanting to be married. I literally cannot remember the last couple that I counseled for premarital that uh, literally were waiting until marriage. Can you? You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was seven years ago. <laughs> yeah, that was probably it. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very rare, right? Yeah. Incredibly rare. Small nowadays. percent. Maybe five percent. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's in the church. I don't yeah. Know. Outside the church it's like zero. You know? But, that's right. Uh but yeah, no, and so talking to these Gen Zers of like how they're reacting to the overturning of Roe versus Wade, it was really eye opening for me when I read it. Honestly, like 
I think it is a good article to read because it really does open your eyes to how this younger generation views sexuality, uh, how they view ethics and how they view abortion, which is very different than I think any other generation views it. So let's just read some of it because, again, it, it would probably sound shocking to some people, but again, very illuminating. So uh, this is from a 24 year old. Her name is Madeline. Uh, and this is Insider, right? That's right. Insider did not Business Insider, but Insider Magazine. So uh, Madeline, who asked that Insider use only her first name, has decided that sticking to female partners may be the safest sexual route these days. It's not a fear of men, exactly. So <laughs> that's an interesting phrase in and of itself. It's not a fear of men, exactly. That has inspired this young woman to consider swearing off an entire gender. It's the heightened fear of an unwanted pregnancy and a subsequent lack of options that has forced Madeline to proceed with sexual caution in the wake of Friday's Supreme Court decision, gutting federal abortion rights protections. Man, so what are your thoughts on that? I think it's pretty predictable <laughs> in, in this way, but I find it uh fascinating in just getting kind of into some young person's brain mm. and seeing how they work and they go, you know, man, I don't have a fear of man. You know, it's not like I have a fear of a penis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's but... what she says. Not a fear of men. Exactly. <laughs> so it's not even like a, a flat out denunciation that there's a fear of the patriarchy of yeah. men. It's just, well, not, a, not exactly. I'm not exactly a fear of men. But she thinks like, hey, I'll just stick to some women right now, you know, just hang out with them, have some sex with them, and I'll be good to go. You know, so it's kind of a reevaluating of her sexual partners. And this is this is something that can only really happen in the West. And I've told people this. So I've had numerous parents come to me in the last couple months telling mm -hmm. me that their kids are bi, they're trans, they're this, they're that, these kind of things. And I said, you know, like if you go around the world, right? So I've been to Afghanistan, right? I've studied a lot of literature from more ancient parts of the world. What you realize is that people, people's view of sex is that sex is malleable, right? That's been the traditional view of humanity for as long back as we can remember it. Meaning that like when I went to Afghanistan, they're against gay people per se, but pretty much everyone has sex with little boys. Right. That's just a part of their culture. And it's not considered gay to do that. Uh, if you read about the ancient Greeks or the Romans, I was just uh, reading about the symposium that Plato wrote. And the symposium is basically just a drunken party where a bunch of dudes are hanging out and talking about other dudes and wanting to have sex with them. And it's this really raucous kind of homosexual elite party that's going on. And that was totally normal. Like that, that was just common in that time. So. In that culture, the idea wasn't you're born this way, right? You're just born with an innate attraction to men. In that culture, it was just like, yeah, I have sex with men and I have sex with women. Like it wasn't considered like anything inherent to a person's personality. They did view it as something you would choose to do. Like I enjoy being with men and I enjoy being with women. And it wasn't really a big deal. It really only comes from a culture that is going to say our sexual ethics are going to be based on Leviticus 19 and we're not going to have sex with little boys, right? We're not going to have sex with young kids. We're not going to have sex with people of the same gender. We're only going to marry one person and be sexually exclusive with that one person. That was a radical thought uh, when that came into vogue. And I think a lot of people growing up in the West don't realize what a radical thought that was yeah but in a culture like that we get this idea of inherited sexual preference that people are just born with inherited sexual preference and it can't change it's not malleable but what this new generation i think is showing us again is yes it is right it is malleable you can right you can just say you know what i'm gonna go to women now or you know what? I'm gonna go to men now. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's weird is I think like people that grow up in church culture, you know, they read the Bible a lot, or maybe they don't read the Bible a lot, but they go to church a lot, so they're part of kind of this Judeo-Christian vibe. Right. 
Um, and they take a lot of things for granted that you're talking about, mm. taking for granted that, oh, you know, um, we're going to be monogamous heterosexual people. Right. Um, where when I grew up, I wasn't I didn't grow up in, in even Generation X Southern Cal life. I didn't. So I, I, I pretty much knew that humans could have sex with whoever they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted. Right. And that it really was that you didn't you didn't have this like um you didn't think like you were going to do anything long term like nothing was going to be long term but it was just a pleasure principle right you know it was like hey this is what fulfills me at this time this is how i'm going to go um you know uh so i i i was kind of um pleasantly surprised coming into the church uh going hey maybe there is something to resisting you know all the uh, you know, senses, you know, the sexual senses, right. Maybe there's something to that, that perhaps I have sexual desires that ought to be resisted. Yeah. Maybe they should be resisted. And maybe I, I shouldn't just think like, Oh, let's like, let's just try to like fulfill sexual pleasure any old way we want to do that. Right. Um, you know, and I think, I think overall though, many people today, especially Gen Z's, haven't been educated uh, of history and sexuality in history. Mm. So they tend to think like LGBTQ, whatever is new. Yeah. It's like totally new. It's like a new Never phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, wow, we have rights and da, 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 da. And like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like humans have always been doing this stuff. Right. You know, and, uh, and there's certain cultures that, you know, would, would kill you from for all kinds of different things, different practices. Um, you know, every, you know, it depends on who's in authority, what authority is ruling the sexual world, right. so to speak. And I think that that leads to another interesting point that a lot of people don't understand, and that is, uh, I was talking to someone about this earlier this week, where he said, "Well, you know, ethics shift depending on what culture you're in." Mm -hmm. And it was kind of his argument against the idea that there is an objective moral structure. I said, "Well, well yeah." You know, ethics do change depending on what culture you're in, just like facts change depending on what culture you're in. Meaning that, like, some cultures don't believe, uh, if you go back in time, they don't believe what we think right now about the universe and about the galaxies and about the stars and the planets. And, you know, they don't believe the way that, th that we do. But does that mean because there's malleability amongst cultures, does that mean there is no objective truth? Right. And he had to think about that for a second, but eventually came to the conclusion of like, well, no. There are things that are objectively true. Yeah, and no matter what. That, no matter what. Even if you don't have all the knowledge yet. That's right. And so moral truths are like that, where it's like, yeah, there are cultures who thought in all these different ways, but just because there's different moral ethics when it comes to sex and things like that, that doesn't mean there isn't an objectively right thing to do with your sexuality. Yeah. It just means that different civilizations have come to different conclusions yeah and most of them have been pretty prolific about their sexuality uh most of them have not been very restrictive about what you can do sexually yeah. the the basic rule that rule of thumb that you see throughout the ages is that they did have a concept of recreational sex but they also did have a concept of procreational sex so there was this idea of like as a man this is why arranged marriages were so big in the ancient world as a man or a woman, you have a responsibility to your tribe, to your city, to your state, to your family, to have offspring. But it doesn't mean that every time you're having sex is for the purpose of having of, offspring. Yeah, you're thinking of the collective. That's right. So it's like in Afghanistan, no joke, this is one of their sayings. They said, women are for kids, men are for pleasure, right? Because what they recognize is that if you're having sex with a guy, there's no utility to that. There's nothing you're not going to be able to produce life with that sexual activity. Yeah, it only goes so far. So it's purely recreational. Yeah, and that's what you, and, and that's what we see with this lady, right? This right. young girl is just that idea of like, hey, you know, sex isn't really about the collective. It's not about the big picture per se. Right. It's just about, hey, me having some fun. Yeah. You know, and I, I like to have some fun with maybe some guys, but hey, you know what? It's not going to happen. I don't want to get pregnant. You no, know, Roe versus Wade. <laughs> yeah. God, you know, I, I live in a state that's going to not allow me to get an abortion. So, you know what? I'll just, you know, go hang out with my girlfriends and we'll we'll have some fun. You know, that kind of thing. And I, I think, you know, certainly we're going to see that more and more where, uh, you know, um, 
young women, there's many things against young women mm. in the world. Um, it's probably one of the most tragic topics uh, today is the abuse in young girls mm. uh, worldwide. And I'm not talking just about beating down girls. I'm talking about the way the systems are set up. But, you know, I think we're going to see massive shifts in uh, people uh, going towards um, same-sex, you know, behavior. I already think we see that. Um, and there's, and I don't know if, I don't think the church has done many good things with so much um, negative talk about sex for so long. Mm. I think it's pushed many young people into lesbianism or the gay life um, because there is a a feeling of um, um, inadequacy. There's a feeling, there's a scaredness to it all. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of negativity around the topic. Um, you know, there's a lot of taboo around the topic of sex within the church. And that certainly pushes a lot of people um, in different directions. Absolutely. You know? you know, I think, you know, for someone who, number one, might have sexual urges and desires that are not really talked about within a Christian context and worldview that might make them think that like, hey, maybe I don't belong in this culture because I have these desires that no one really talks about and no one really mentions as being present in them. So maybe there's something fundamentally different about me. Yeah. But also, uh, you know, in the church, we don't really have the language, right? Most churches don't speak in a way where we're talking about fighting sexual urges. We speak in such a way where it's like the sexual urges are just not present. Right. Stop. Right. It's like the end. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> like when you hear most pastors talk about their sexual urges, you don't ever hear about them talking about aberrant sexual urges, right? You don't really hear pastors being like, you know what? Man, you know, I'm married, but I sometimes desire to be with other women or I sometimes desire to view pornography or to go like that would be the honest truth that we have sexual desires that are not good, that are immoral and we have to fight them. And so the idea you can get inside of a church is if you have a sexual desire that's aberrant, that's not correct, you could think, oh, my gosh, like maybe this is who I am. You know, this is just the summation of what my sex, uh, my sexuality is. This defines me and then it moves them in a very different direction. Yeah. And that's and another point too, uh, maybe point two is that this Gen Z girl really understands, uh, you know, and I think the young people understand economics a little bit. Like they understand the risks, like uh, the money uh, risks, meaning they understand there's a financial pressure, hmm. you know, much more probably than what I would think of the sexual revolution, right. you know, in the late sixties and the early seventies where people, young people were traveling all over the world, all over the country, um, in literally hitchhiking, um, people, I mean, the, you, you didn't need a lot of money. You know, people were just like, Hey, come hang out with me. You know, you had the Charlie Mansons, man. They were just right. like, yo, got the ranch, come right. and hang out. <laughs> you know, you had people living in communities, right? Um, all kinds of interesting cults, so the communes, yeah. communes. Yeah. And, and you, it was just an interesting vibe where you didn't need a lot of money and you know, your sex, you know, sex, um, things didn't, there wasn't an incredible cost to a lot of things right back then where today you know you go to er you know and every gen z knows this because they have parents and the parents are always stressed about money mm. and like man that er trip was 26 grand mm. you know how for eight hours right you know woo glad we got some insurance or woo you know whatever you know we got to you know, there's, they know economic pressure. Right. And so I think the young people today too, you know, above all things, they fear that risk. You know, there's a fear of risk. It's not so much the guy in the phallic that's the problem. Right. You know, with the young girl. Right. But it's the risk. It's the financial risk. There's an emotional risk too. And, and you and I were actually just talking about this yesterday, uh, where I think a lot of people in this new generation is all, have also been told kind of this lie where you shouldn't have to sacrifice, 
right? You should be able to have everything you want, you know? So it's like you, you shouldn't have to choose between having like an amazing career and a great marriage and, and a family or anything like that. You should just ha be able to have it all, you know? And if anything happens in your life that prevents you from having it all, that is an imposition on your happiness and you should be able to do something about it. So like, you know, if you get married to somebody and you realize like, let's say someone gets married to a guy and he's in the military and he ends up having to go to a different state and they're going to have to pull up stakes and move with him. They'd be like, no, that's not right. You know, I'm going to stay here. You, and this happened to a lot of my buddies in the military, right? They would, they would move over to a different place and their wives are like, well, I'm not going to move with you. You know, like I, I got stuff going on right here. I shouldn't have to give up my life to be around you. That's so, you know, that's so common today. That's right. Or like, you know, I'm not going to give up my friend group in order to be exclusive with my, with my husband or my wife. You know, I'm not going to give up my college dreams. I'm not going to put a pause on them in order to have a kid. You know, if I get pregnant or something like that, uh, I shouldn't have to compromise any of my dreams for anything else. I shouldn't have to sacrifice. That's the idea. And uh, I was just talking to uh, this couple not too long ago where they were they were talking about their issues with sacrifice and having kids. And I was like, you know, well, well, as Christians, we do believe that the greatest happiness only comes through sacrifice. So what we learn from the life of Jesus is that his joy was through the cross, right? So through his sacrifice in us, that's why it says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set out before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He found that his greatest fulfillment and joy was only going to happen through a sacrifice of something that he wanted for something that he needed. And as Christians, that is that should be our perspective that, yeah, there is a sacrifice that comes with not being as sexually promiscuous as I want to be. There yeah. is a sacrifice that comes of potentially having a kid and having to take on that as a responsibility. And it's in, it's interesting how the young generation reminds me so much of a, a a story I was just or a narrative I was just reading in Joshua, but it's one that it's kind of throughout the book of Numbers and it's uh, reiterated in uh, Deuteronomy and then it flows into Joshua. But it's this idea of Gad, Manasseh, half tribe of Manasseh and uh, Reuben uh, wanting to stay on the right. east of the Jordan. Right. And it's kind of interesting, their idea, you know, because it's kind of like what you're describing with the younger generation, like that that lack of sacrifice. <laughs> it's really the lack of seeing the, the collective right. and the value of the collective. Right. And the sacrifice that needs to be made for the collective to thrive right. and to flourish and to have a future and a hope. And, and because the young culture doesn't look too much to the future, they tend to see themselves just kind of in the here and now, kind of like, you know, uh, Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, right. where they're just like, oh, you know, like going over the Jordan, like I'm facing all those people, like, you know, we'll do it if you want us to. <laughs> we'll send some guys. We'll send our JV squad. But, man, yeah. we're not going. He's like, know? but we got, we've collected a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, he's like, man, we got our buddies. We got our friends. We got our ox. We got our cattle. Right. He's like, man, we got a lot of stuff. And this land's pretty awesome. And that's the way you're describing the Gen Z person. Absolutely. I, I think it was Arthur Pinker, but he was describing kind of this uh, culture of instant gratification. Yeah. And he said, they do not know what can make them happy for the present hour consumes their imagination. Yeah, it's all right there. So it's like, it's man, like... why would I give up what I have yeah. for a potential benefit in the future? Yeah, and, and instead of, you know, uh, those tribes looking at, hey, the other, you know, nine and a half tribes and saying, hey, well, it's important to help them out. Right. And this is going to be all of us, all of our future right. is going to be about getting over the, the Jordan and, uh taking the land you know taking the territory and uh and yeah you find a parallel there with that gen z group right where they right. just get stuck with their friends they you know they it's hard for them to detach from their social medias they find that more valuable than than getting with a uh, a person for life hmm. and being with them it's hard for them to just say hey no i'm gonna i'm gonna be with you that kind of idea hmm. But it's interesting how when Roe versus Wade comes down, sexually speaking, that that lady, uh, that young girl is just very clear of like, hey, you know, I'll just I'll go like bisexual, you know, that's and it's so 
it it doesn't seem like it's a issue for her or nothing. It just seems kind of flowy, man. It just goes. Yeah, it's just like I can, <laughs> that's I can the way just it's gonna it, be, you know? man. Yeah. Um, this is a uh, another quote from a different girl. She says Gen Z is one of the most open about sex and hookup culture. Adeline said. She told Insider that among her friends, most women are entirely supportive of other women's sexual decisions, whether they're sexually active or celibate. Overwhelming sex positivity, however, doesn't necessarily translate to overwhelming amounts of sex. Now, this is interesting. The generation is actually having less casual sex than their predecessors, according to the 2021 study. Experts linked the deficit in decreased alcohol consumption, excessive social media use, and increasingly delayed markers of adulthood. But even if they're not copiously partaking in sexual activity, members of Gen Z uh, Insider spoke to said that they don't approach sex as the taboo it once was. We're a lot more comfortable talking about it, Adeline said. Hmm. So it, we, we were just talking about this at lunch, how this generation through like social media and stuff, it's like their sex, their sex drive and their sex imagination and fantasy life is like dialed up to an untold level but it just because they're so socially disconnected from physical people <laughs> that it doesn't tend to it doesn't tend to translate to sex actually having sex but they're talking about it all the time right right, right. in their brains man they are all it's Ron always Jones. going that way yeah <laughs> they're all studs well, everything they, is sex well and this might be this might be you know the the um one of the results of the great porn experiment right of free porn sexualizing children you know just going nuts right you know just all the porn you want to consume is all there for you right whatever kind anything you could think of yeah. anything goes you know is all yours which if the goal is safety and security then that is far more safe and secure than even homosexuality right so it's like if i if my worry is about getting pregnant or having kids or you know maybe even contracting some sort of a disease the safest way for me to practice my sexuality is solo yeah and it's kind of interesting that the young culture doesn't not everybody it, it you know our sex lives don't just go like in a pact right like you think people would just go like hey roe versus wade can you know uh, there's a risk in having sex with a guy you know, that's fine. I, you know, I've been masturbating since I was four years old. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, something like that, you know, which like... it, that sounds weird to you guys. <laughs> I was actually quoting something I told him. So I was listening to a debate between a, a lady named Brenda and she was debating a pro-lifer, uh, pro-life woman, very smart woman named Lila Rose. And she legitimately said that if you want less abortions, you need to start sex education really young. And Lila Rose pressed her and said, well, how young are you talking? And she said, well, I started masturbating when I was three. And she was like, no, like you were, you mean you were just like touching yourself down there with three? She's like, no, I masturbated and had orgasms when I was three. So that like, so if that sounds weird. You'd be like, no way. Like that is, that is how people are thinking nowadays. Yeah. So my thought is, is like, okay, so you have all this free porn. You know, it's not the Southern California, it's not the New York lifestyle, it's not the, you know, red light different district light uh, lifestyle. You have now, uh, for the last 20 years, you have, or more, you have all the porn anybody could ever want. Right. Just uh, in Wisconsin, yeah. you know, wherever you are, you know, it doesn't matter. And so you have a ton of kids that, uh, are viewing um, an enormous amount of sexual content. And if it's not pornography, because um, I don't want you to think porn's the, the, the big culprit here. Right. There's many, uh, many sexualized images, uh, podcasts. Or you could even uh, just like have sexual relations with people online. Yeah. Just talking you know, about sex, talking about sex, sending to, pictures, that's right. sending videos. Yeah, you know. listening to podcasters and they're talking about their sex. Right. You know, again, sexualizing the 11 year old who likes a podcaster. Right. He's listening to someone on YouTube, a YouTuber. But the YouTuber talks about, you know, their homosexual lifestyle or they talk about their heterosexual lifestyle or whatever they're into. Right. You know, and, and they sexualize, you know, that that 11 year old is just getting fed this right. all the time in that community right you know in that and so 
you know, there's all that going on. And, you know, you also need to think, you know, for for those of us who, you know, growing up in a more materialistic world, you have to understand that Gen Z is a much more spiritual generation than I think any prior to it. And what I mean by that is like when I'm talking about spirit, I'm talking about like the mind, the consciousness, where for most of us, you know, living in, you know, growing up in the 90s and you growing up before me in the, the 70s, and 80s, you know, if you want to experience things, you have to take your body there and experience it. But this generation, their majority of their experiences are online. So they don't actually have to engage their bodies in anything to make themselves feel like they're engaging with it. So voyeurism and vicarious living are kind of the norm as opposed to the actual behavior in their life. Yeah, voyeurism is definitely beyond normal. It is just their world. Right. And I think it is for humans in general in, right. in most ways. I've argued that before. But well, I think that like voyeurism obviously has always tantalized us but we we usually tend to like to be voyeuristic towards uh you know people used to think it was only towards glamour you know that's why we like celebrity culture yeah but then reality tv came out and we realized oh we'll watch anybody yeah <laughs> like we'll watch like yeah. literally anybody with a pulse yeah. doing anything we will watch right. if it's on tv right. so it is we very watch like people cooking yeah you watch people cooking you can watch storage wars you can watch people like barbecuing people in the backyard you know like if you if you flipped on your tv to, today and you accidentally realized that your neighbor's webcam was on and they were brushing their teeth, you'd probably watch it for a couple minutes. Like there's there's just something weird about us where we love watching people. Yeah. But I, again, like I think the difference with this generation is that they the the voyeurism actually satisfies their wants and desires to live an actual life of their own. Right? So just watching someone else live their life feels satisfactory to somebody. Where it's like, you know, if if I'm voyeuristic, if I watch someone live their life, I'm still kind of like, actually, uh, oftentimes, if I'm like voyeuristically watching something, if I went and binged, you know, a documentary about something, I'd probably be like, I need to go out and do something. You know, <laughs> like I need to go, like, I didn't, like, I'm not going to stop watching these people's lives, but I want to go do something. I feel lazy. I feel like I'm not doing anything. I think someone in Gen Z, that is their something. You know, they're like, oh, I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go watch this person do this. I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to read this article. I'm going to check out this person's webcam. I'm going to message this person. I'm going to, you know, that is them living their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard for us to understand. Yeah, totally. It's definitely the generate. There's a definitely a generation gap there. And they are yeah. like the majority of them are making their livings online too. Yeah. Totally. You know, so yep. it's like their whole world is online. Yeah. And so it's interesting to me that why can't, with all that being said, it's interesting that why can't this person who we, you just quoted, why can't they just go like, Hey, you know, like I'm just going to watch a ton of porn and I'm going to be good to go. Yeah. You know, like, you know what, you know, but they still feel like they need connection, you know, um, which I find fascinating in a way, you know, why, why had, you know, you would think that, you know, porn would just like kind of take over the globe where people would just be like, hey, you know, I'm good, you know, and there is people that are like that, that just go, hey, I'd just do porn and I will go solo, you know, but it doesn't seem like that's how the full tribe goes. You know, people definitely have their their different, you know, ways of fulfilling their sexual uh, desires, wishes, and wants, hmm. you know, and, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, you could see that Gen Z definitely is more open to talk about all kinds of different sexuality, sexual positions, things like that. But that's because probably of the porn, um, influence in their world, you know, they are around a lot of sexual things a lot earlier. Right. So to them, it is a very normalized. But when you when you listen to these people and and again, some of these people, they're they're younger, they're like teenagers. But the majority of people quoted in this article are in their 20s. Oh, OK. And when you listen to them talk, you, you have to like you would think that they're teenagers. Yeah. And you realize that these are people that are that are just 
that's big kids. Think. Yeah, they just, they just really are. Me just hearing them, I'm like, oh, they're 14. Yeah, that's what it sounds like <laughs> is because they're just so young. Like they're so infantilized by this culture that doesn't let them grow up. Now, listen to this quote and just listen how naive this sounds. And you realize like, here's this person that's talking about sex all the time. They're thinking about sex, but they're just, they have the sexual maturity of a, of a 12 year old. They really do in their thought process. So uh, listen to this. this is Catherine D uh, on the other hand, has already participated in hookup culture before the Supreme court decision dropped. Being on birth control is not an option due to the way it negatively affects her physical and mental health. Catherine said, so she's been left to reevaluate the consequences of casual sex that have suddenly become very real. Mm. As much as I want to have fun in my 20s, what happens to me when the fun stops? What happens to me when I might be in need of an abortion and can't access that? She said, the unknowns have left her feeling like more reserved version of herself as she contemplates the risks now tied to her body. It's like you never thought about risks tied to your body when it came to promiscuous sex. Which is bizarre. And another another thing is not only did she never think of it, but it's interesting that the the idea of reshifting her thought life uh, or her sexual life is somehow seen as a negative right like she's not she's not herself how terrible how terrible you know, <laughs> she's, she's not herself she's not hooking up with strangers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what a terrible thing we've done to this young girl yeah it's like it, it's it, in my mind i'm like well you know what you know why why is it that when we have to think about something that has that you know, you know, it's like, why is that the negative? Right. Like, why is it that we have, it's like, we're so into affirming, right. You know, uh, our own pleasure. Yeah. Uh, that we really are blinded. Right. To, to any like harm that we could be doing. (laughs) She doesn't mention anything like that. Like maybe the abortion thing's not good. Like, yeah, it is, you know, there is a life that's being taken there. And, you know, maybe, maybe like what I'm doing to my body is not good either. Right. You know, and maybe emotionally, you know, the reason I'm the way I am and feeling not like me, maybe, maybe I'm in like a cognitive dissonance. Right. Maybe I'm going against what I know to be wrong. Right. And I keep doing it. And I'm in this vicious cycle, right? You know, and but it's the only thing that makes me feel good. It's right. very, it's very like you know, do drugs, right? It's the only thing that makes you feel good, you right. know. It's like, and we would say to that drug addict, like, man, good, you're you're doing yeah. your drugs, yeah, you're feeling better, yeah, great. That's right. You know, <laughs> you if you have you ever been around someone when they're trying to sober up, you know, like it would be it would be really easy to say to that person, you're so unhappy, yeah. You know, you seem so unhappy right now. You you just like maybe, miserable. Maybe you need to go to the bar. Maybe you need to go back to the drugs, man, because you just seem so sad all the time. You that's know, right. like that's kind of what's going on. Just because your body's having an adverse reaction to something doesn't actually mean you're doing something bad to your body. Right. Maybe your body's detoxing from something worse. You know, and so. Right. But these people never. These kids, and they are kids. Like their mentality is that of kids. Yeah. Their decision is that of kids it never really equates to them that they're thinking about it in a really immature way. Yeah. A know? very animalistic, you know, just self-absorbed way. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like the fact that, again, when it comes to sexual maturity, it's like one of the first things you're supposed to learn in sexual maturity, when you're young and you're like in your teenage years, sex really is all about recreation and fun. So when I was like 13 and I first started thinking about sex, yeah, I wasn't thinking about marriage. I wasn't thinking about having a family or anything like that. I was just thinking about having fun. Yeah. Like your body's, your hormones are just starting to turn up and you're like, wow, like these, there are a lot of things that feel good. Yeah. You're just waking up and you're yeah. like, yo, yeah. <laughs> what's going on? And you're starting to notice people in your class and you're yeah. like, they look good now. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Something's going yeah. down, man. <laughs> I got a little hair down. on the armpit. Like, you know? You know so yeah. you're very immature, but it's supposed to be as you grow up, you're supposed to be understanding more and more of the consequences of sex. Yeah. You're supposed to be thinking more about the emotional relationships and uh, emotional intimacy and relational intimacy. Yeah, health. And health. And it, again, this is all stuff that people who aren't Christians think about. 
Yeah. You know, like even when I was talking to my friends and the Marines who are not Christians and are very sec were very sexually promiscuous, their minds were going in that direction where they're like, Yeah, you know, I'm in my twenties, this is fun, but eventually maybe I do want to settle down and eventually maybe I do want to have a family and is this good for me? And, and right? it's and it's funny how yeah. people you know, people throw out LGBTQ all the time, like LGBT you know, that's always the something that's thrown out. But you just take anything, you go, Okay, you know, okay, let's take lesbianism. Right. Okay. So you go up to a young person in Gen Z and say, Okay, is lesbianism cool? Absolutely, it's fine, it's great. You yeah. know, it's because they're gonna affirm everything. Right. Right? Okay, so um if if I'm if I'm a lesbian, can I have sex with a different lesbian partner every night? And they start going, uh <laughs> like I don't I don't know, like I guess you could. Right. But is that really healthy? Right. And it's funny yeah. how like you can take that with anything. Like you can take it with bisexuality. Like right. you buy and they go, Oh yeah, I'm buy and you go, Oh, okay, and they'll affirm it. Like, right. cool, that's cool. But if you said like, Hey, you know, I have a different sexual partner each night of the different sex. Right. You know, do you think that's good? Gener Generation Z would be like, hmm, I don't know if that's good. Mm. You know, it's interesting. It's like we affirm the idea. Right. You know, we affirm the idea of sexual freedom. Right. But when it comes down to it, we really don't like, you know, the promiscuous sexual person right you know the per it doesn't matter you choose any of them right but we don't like the person who's just says oh yeah it's just like with heterosexuality you know someone says hey i'm heterosexual but i have sex with a different yeah <laughs> different partner <laughs> different partner every night straight. yeah you'd be like oh i'm mm. not for that yeah <laughs> you know so i remember we we had a it was like a year or two ago, we did a podcast with Nathan, our friend Nathan, who lives yeah. out in California. And, you know, he's in that lifestyle, the, the LGBTQ lifestyle. And he was talking about how he was feeling more freed up and he was feeling more able to be himself because of the affirmation he was getting. And we were asking him questions about some of his friends and the lifestyles they were leading. And he was like, yeah, I'm totally against polyamory. You know, the idea that you could just be in the gay lifestyle and just sleep around. He's like, I feel like the Bible's really calling that kind of behavior out in first Corinthians six. It's not calling out gayness per se. It's calling out that kind of polyamory. Yeah. Relationship. That was his, that was his argument. That was his argument. And I was like, okay, well, so if you think that's wrong, have you ever told your friends that have you ever told them like, Hey, what you're doing is wrong. And he's like, well, no, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's really my place to say that it's wrong. And yeah. I was like, but, but is it wrong? And he's like, you know, and he's like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of like raw. I think it's bad, but it's like, okay, so, so should you tell him that? And he's like, well, I wouldn't tell him that, you know, and he like yeah. kind of goes in like the circle. And, and, and it's just, I find yeah. it, I find it so like, there's not a really good cohesive flow of logic right. that goes throughout it, you know, throughout uh, this way of thinking. Right. Um, Cause this person in the article is saying, Hey, you know, I'm totally, you know, like, um, you know, not concerned right. about my, uh, having sex with whomever right. I want. Right. And then, you know, being able to abort my child and, live right. it, you know, none of that really enters into her head as being something weird. Yeah. But know? if you go up to her and I'm sure if you go up to her and you say, Hey, do you, you know, do you think it's good to have a sexual partner each night? Right. Like for a year. Right. Like, what would you think about that? Yeah. I'm sure she'd go like, that's pretty risky. Yeah. You know, that's high risk. I don't think that's a good thing to do. <laughs> good thing. You know, and, and this is it. So this is the men. So they did interview some men. And again, how many people would be okay with this answer? So this is a lot of the men in Generation Z. The few men who did respond were more likely to say that the possibility of Roe being overturned did not influence or change their attitudes towards sex. So did again, not. they're not interviewing guys who are like, oh, yeah, it's not going to change my mind because I'm planning on getting married and I, I wasn't going to these are dudes who are still going to sleep around but they're like I don't care if I might knock up a girl that I sleep with because it's not my body you know yeah. like I'm not I'm not going to have to deal with the consequences of that that's on her and uh I was just talking to someone about this where in the 1700s there was a move towards what we would call feminism and sexual liberty and the reason why it stopped 
is because all the dudes were sleeping around, Mm -hmm. but the girls were getting pregnant and the girls are trying to hang with the dudes. They were trying to hang with the guys who are the rock stars, just having sex with tons of chicks. But then they realize I can't keep hanging with this guy because once I get knocked up, he leaves me (laughs) because it's more convenient. Yeah. And this is this is, I think, super phenomenal of a quote because it shows that men win. Yep. And it and it shows that and that abortion is really a anti-feminist movement. Yeah. Um and I know that's hard for people to understand. Yeah. So let me just unpack that. Yeah. But when but the ability for a woman to have abortions on demand is anti-feminist because it doesn't promote the value of the womb. Right. It diminishes the value of the womb right. that a woman holds. And what it promotes is man's ability to do whatever he wants with his sexuality, whenever he wants, with very little consequence. Right. And it puts a woman into that character, uh, caricature. Right. You know, so that's what I'm saying. It has killed feminism. Right. It is basically making a woman to... A woman is basically yelling from the rooftop when she's having an abortion, I want to be like a man. Right. And so men win. You know, it's a win-win. And this Generation Z guy knows it. And no one had had to give him some philosophy lesson on it. (laughs) He just knows it in his innately. Right. He just knows like... This allows me to do what I want. This allows me to do what I want. And you know what? And it's like, I'm still going to do what I want. Right. Because this world is not about, this culture is not about making men step up to the plate. Right. It's about diminishing women. Right. And if you talk, by (laughs) the way, if you talk to women who have had abortions, not all of them, Mm -hmm. but there is a large percentage of women who will tell you, I was with a dude. I got pregnant. I told him and he said, you need to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Right. There are so many stories where even pro choice women who have always supported the idea of choice. But what happens is they get pregnant. They're on the fence. They're like, I don't know. Maybe we should keep it. Maybe not. And the dude's like, if you don't abort that child, like I'm out, you know, I'm not going to help you take care of it. I'm not a part of this. That is your decision. But you need to abort your child. You know, and that is something that, again, doesn't really get talked about in the pro-choice movement very much, is that it does tend to be a lot of men telling women what to do with their bodies. Right. And isn't that sad? All these women going to an abortion clinic, so many of them pressured by who? A man. Right. And they go alone. The men aren't there. Right. And so when you have a culture that is not for making men responsible right. for their actions, there is no responsibility for men in their actions. And this guy knows it right. in his 20s. Right. He knows that the culture has does nothing. Right. And by hold, the way, it, it wasn't just one guy. It was, that was the vast majority. <laughs> that was the answer of the vast majority of men. So the quote that I just read was not just from one singular respondent. It was from the vast majority of men that they interviewed said that. See I mean, it, yeah. and, and that just shows that, that, uh, you know, women unfortunately think they're, they're doing something that's pro women and pro feminist, but it's actually diminishing women and it's anti-feminist. Right. You actually are playing right into the hands of a non-responsible, uh, gender, right. A non, you know, males are, don't, do not have to be responsible. And you see that. Exactly. And you, and you don't see it turn around either. So, so it's like. You can't expect for a man who's been who's trained himself so much to not take responsibility for his actions to all of a sudden become a responsible man when he gets married to you. You know, so finally, when you when you lock him down and he gets in there and you have kids, how many how many people listen to this podcast, going go to church? How many people had fathers who were present and actually helped raise you when you were kids? And how many people have fathers, most people have fathers that they don't know, or fathers that abandon them, 
or fathers that divorced their parent, their mom, uh, or if they had a father that was in the house, a father that was just not present. Yeah, Denzel's right. Yeah. Denzel Washington. <laughs> Denzel is always right. Yeah, it's right. No, as we said, you know, because he's from the black community. And yeah. it's I think the stats right now are like 75% fatherlessness hmm. in the black communities. And it's no mistake that there's 75% homeless, uh, fatherlessness in black communities and black communities have more abortions than any other group, right? So in New York City, it is legitimately safer for, I mean, I'm sorry, the most dangerous place for a baby, for a black child in New York City is in the womb because more black children are aborted than born in New York City. That's insane. But Denzel Washington talks about that. He says if if young men don't find their fathers in the home, they find them on the streets. So when he was talking about why there's this epidemic of violence, gang violence in black communities, that's the reason. He said there's no fathers. There's no male responsibility there. Yeah. And that's what you see in the abortion issue as well. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and these it's sad that these young guys, you know, see it and they already know it. And they already know that they win. They already know that when women are out picketing and doing their thing for an abortion, you know, that they might think it's their freedom, but it's not. It's right. their bondage. Right. They are right back to being wanting to be like men. They'll never be a man, but they want to be like a man. Right. They'll do anything to be like a man. Right. Uh, yet the men are absent that got them pregnant. They're yeah. not they're not around. They're nowhere to be found. There's no uh, repercussions in their life anything like that so and listen to this quote because it's again very telling and how deceived this generation is this is again one of these young girls she says the decision became less surprising as she considered the supreme court's gender race and age makeup they're not personally affected by it she said so in her mind the reason why this happened is because it's a bunch of men you know forcing women to do these things men who don't care what she fails to acknowledge is that Roe versus Wade was passed by nine white guys. Roe versus Wade was overturned by the most diverse Supreme Court this country has ever had. Right? You had you had women on it. You had two women on it. You had a black guy on it. You had a couple white guys. Right? So you have this really diverse Supreme Court that overturns Wade, Roe versus Wade. But nine white guys passing Roe versus Wade. No, they're feminists. You know, and it's like how deceived this girl is to believe that once again, if it was a Supreme Court made up of all women, then Roe versus Wade would have gone through. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's not a mistake that nine white guys passed Roe versus Wade in the first right. place. Right. You know, and that's 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 the sad irony of it all. Right. Right. Is maybe, you know, maybe the 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 villains right there before your face. Right. You know, and you just can't see it. And even like real quick, because I know we're over time, but a lot of people are championing these corporations like Amazon and Chase, you know, again, all run by rich white guys because they're saying, hey, if you work for our company and you need an abortion, we'll fly you out for free to get an abortion. Women are like, oh, man, these guys care so much about me. No, they don't want to pay for your maternity, <laughs> your maternity leave. Yeah. That's why. The guy wins again, right? The man wins again. He gets the maximum amount of work from his female workers and doesn't have to fulfill his responsibility as an employer to provide you with maternity leave and benefits for having a child. That's what's going on. So again, it's always just these, you think you're rebelling against the rich white guys, right? The, the rich white guys are the ones that want this, right? That's right. They are the ones that are pushing for it harder than anybody. So, such an irony, you know, so crazy, right? And it's amazing how, you know, propaganda works. And I think, I think the young generation, you know, and people mean well, you know, they try to do the right thing. But the Bible is so true yeah. that there's a way that seems right. Yeah. But the, in the end, it leads to destruction. Yeah. It seems right. Right. And uh, so Jesus says, hey, they do not know what they do. Mm -hmm. In a sense, there's a um, we are just like lost sheep, man, wandering around, just really blind leading the blind. It's right. really sad to watch. Right. You know, and that's what I think people are frustrated with. And, you know, today with Gen Z mm -hmm. is that they seem very um, willing to follow the leaders, you know, follow the rulers, you know, on these paths of destruction.
and uh they they eat up propaganda like it's like the gospel yeah <laughs> you know they're just like yes you know uh which um you know I, I wish there was much more skepticism you know in generation z mm. um to really think about you know people in power and and what what is being told to them mm. and them questioning him because you're right the the rebellious movement today is going to be um you know the pure movement right it's going to be the purity movement that'll be the rebellious right movement which is radical yeah <laughs> yeah totally but it's you know it's not so different from 2000 years ago yeah right with yeah, Christianity. The christians were the counterculture that was the counterculture and that was the radical atheist right right that they, they were called atheists right. back then because they didn't worship the roman gods and stuff like that so hey great podcast we'll catch you guys next time okay take care bye-bye Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.